0: Welcome to Worldview from WBEZ, I'm Jerome McDonnell. Protesters in Honduras will attempt to block Juan Orlando Hernandez's inauguration this weekend. We'll discuss the ongoing electoral crisis in Honduras. There's One Way to Fight Division. We'll hear how Niles Township is making an effort to come together. And, of course, a Buddhist scholar would have some thoughts on Bill Murray's Groundhog Day movie. We'll find out about the film series Religion in the Frame. Don't forget you can join the conversation on Twitter at WBEZ Worldview. Protesters in Honduras think the country is about to swear in the wrong man this weekend. Most observers question the validity of the November election results that gave Juan Orlando Hernandez a second term. Protests have been ongoing since November. At least 35 people have been killed at the hands of security forces with scores more injured. Leaders of the protest movement have been targeted and killed. The U.S. has backed the election results and supports the inauguration going forward this weekend. With me is Matt Ginsberg-Jekyll. He observed the elections and the aftermath. He's helping organize a teach-in and solidarity march this Saturday. Thanks for joining me again, Matt.
1: Thank you very much for having me. Uh, Could you recap for people
0: who haven't been uh, clued into what's happening about Honduras, because it's faded from the news since November, in spite of all these protests and and shootings, uh, what's been happening?
1: Right. So... In November 26, there was a very unorthodox election that took place in Honduras. Well, orthodox in the sense that it was fraudulent as all elections since the 2009 coup d'etat have been unorthodox in the sense it was the first time in recent Honduran history, in Honduran history period that a president was allowed to run for re-election, which is especially forbid under the Honduran constitution. Of course, when you're a dictator and you have full control over the Supreme Court, full control over the Congress, full control over all institutions of the state, you can just clear the way for creative reinterpretation. So Juan Orlando ran against what was called the Opposition Alliance Against the Dictatorship, an alliance that brought together all of the major other parties in Honduras except for the Liberal Party, and they won overwhelmingly, so much so that the president was calling his best buddy who's in charge of the Supreme Electoral Tribunal and saying, stop the counting now, don't release results. And if it hadn't been for the pressure of the OAS and one rebel magistrate on the Supreme Electoral Tribunal... They would not have released the fact that with the majority of the votes counted, the opposition alliance against the dictatorship was up by 5 percent in what was deemed an irreversible tendency towards victory.
0: So after that, uh, it seems like the military has been and security forces have been on the streets ever since. And uh, there's people getting shot frequently.
1: Correct. So Juan Orlando created what's called the Military Police for Public Order. It's a police force, basically his imperial army that responds directly to him. And I am direct eyewitness to the fact that they are using live ammunition on people, no rubber bullets. They're using tear gas and live ammunition. I was at a hospital the Friday after the elections, the public hospital in Tegucigalpa, and myself documented 23 people that came in in the space of one hour with bullet wounds from the military police for having peacefully engaged in protest against electoral fraud. The protests themselves, they're,
0: they're strict. No protesters have killed a security forces guy yet.
1: That is correct. There's been no uh, evidence that protesters have killed security people. Uh, there were two police officers that did die, um, but there's no evidence linking that to a protest. And really what this has been is been a campaign of terror to try to say to people, you don't like the fact that I stole the election from you. Well, you've got a bullet waiting for you.
0: Now, the Organization of American States, which was there monitoring the election, they said the election should have been redone. They wanted a redo.
1: Correct. And that's no small thing. We need to remember the OAS has traditionally taken consistent positions with U.S. influence in the region. And for them to buck the U.S. opinion, which is we're standing by our guy, essentially. He may be an SOB, but he's our SOB, to quote uh, Kissinger, I believe. Um, For them to buck that and say, you know what? we can't stand by this, this is too egregious. Their exact words were this was a poor quality electoral process and that we do not have confidence in the results um, is an indication of the scale of the fraud that was committed. I'm talking with Matt Ginsburg, jekyll and
0: he observed the elections in Honduras in November, and he's helping organize a teach-in and Solidarity March this Saturday with Honduras. Um, And just to be clear about the targeting of uh, the the civil society leaders who are involved in the protests. There's an article in the Guardian today that just goes down one person after another, and you know, certain people have been shot from motorcycle guys with guns. Uh, the Padre Mello, who is someone, he is a Jesuit priest who runs a radio station, an independent radio station. I've had him on the program. He's been getting threats and targeting uh, kind of messages. Uh, They're they're just targeting
1: people one after another. Correct. I hope some of your listeners will, will recall or have learned about perhaps in history what Central America was like in the 80s, the sort of mass amounts of crimes against humanity that were committed, the massacres, the killing of nuns, of priests, the disappearances in the middle of the night. That's happening. It's happening again. And people that lived through it, like Father Mello, who you mentioned, are saying that it's worse this time around. The United States is unabashedly standing behind this regime, unabashedly continuing to send our tax dollars to finance these death squads. And that's despite the fact that the whole world is condemning what are severe human rights violations. People are being hunted down in their homes. The other day, a young man, uh, about an hour after returning from a protest, was dragged out in his underwear from his home and shot in the head uh, and then shot, riddled his body with many more bullets after that. Um, There was a young woman, the first martyr of this phase of the struggle, Kimberly Fonseca, who was shot in the head, 19 years old, by military police for simply peeking out of her door during a protest that was defying the military-imposed curfew. This was while I was down there. This all sounds so horrific.
0: I don't know why it's not getting more coverage in the media. You know, we, we just went through a little protest movement in Iran and it got this enormous coverage the president was cheerleading the protesters here's a situation where uh we've got like a rock solid evidence that the the, that this was a bad election and uh there's nothing in the papers about this
1: yeah it's it's infuriating and that's not a strong enough word um there is a very clear reason for that, of course. It's the regime is the U.S. is a U.S.-backed regime. It is a regime that has been backed by both Democratic and Republican administrations since the coup d'état. Um, it, it is a regime that has consistently guarded what are perceived to be U.S. geopolitical interests in the region. Uh, And so there's a concerted effort to cover this up. In fact, there's millions of dollars being spent on that effort. The regime has hired uh, Keybridge Communications, a PR firm out of Washington, to do their PR for them and to try to paint the violence as the result of unruly opposition protesters as opposed to the campaign of terror that it is that's being waged by the Honduran state. One of the reliable things
0: to read about uh, the Honduran situation is uh, Jesuit uh, magazines and periodicals, which I've been reading about. They're giving... uh, serious and pretty accurate portrayals, and they're talking about splits in the Catholic Church in Honduras, and uh, actually, you know, they're engaged.
1: Yes, very much so, and that's to no small part to Father Melo, Father Ismael Moreno, who you mentioned earlier, who's been a longstanding leader. He's the director of uh, Radio Progreso, uh, Progreso Radio. Uh, which was one of the first radio stations invaded and shut down by the military following the 2009 coup. He's been somebody who consistently has accompanied political prisoners, etc. And they've done an amazing job um, of getting the word out to the extent that they can. Of course, they also had their main radio tower sabotaged in the capital city, Tegucigalpa, Um, everybody knows that it was by the regime. Unfortunately, the incident wasn't recorded. Uh, But the regime is scared. They're very scared because they know if the word does get out, they know that 80% of the Honduran population are against this regime and that if it were not for this media blockade and if it were not for the continuing and unabashed U.S. support for this dictatorial regime, there's nothing left for them to stand on.
0: There's also been concurrently an OAS effort to look into corruption in Honduras. And it has been uh it's vividly successful it sounds like they've uh been able to identify lots of politicians who are massively corrupt. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so the backdrop to that is uh, leading up, actually just before the 2013 fraudulent elections, um, what and w- what was taking place was that there was a pillaging of the Social Security system. In Honduras, the Social Security system is in charge of their entire public health infrastructure. They were replacing real pills with pills filled with flour, selling them for prices that were about 1,000% higher than what the normal prices were, pocketing the difference, paying off the middlemen, and then funneling that money directly into the camp campaign of Juan Orlando Hernandez the US backed dictator that is trying to impose himself for a second illegal term this Saturday. In the aftermath of that, there was a demand, much like what we saw in Guatemala, for there to be an independent international commission to investigate these just huge amounts of graft and corruption. Uh, the independent commission was not accepted, but a modified version of it finally did create. It's called Masik. And they've come in and they've been very timid and extremely criticized actually by Honduran social movements for that timidity. But even they at this point have, have realized that they need to speak the truth about what they have found. And it is painfully obvious that this is one of the most corrupt regimes that Latin America has ever seen they continue to pillage uh from the public funds and that's the direct cause that and US intervention and economic policy that's been imposed is the direct reason that Honduras besides Haiti is the most impoverished country in this hemisphere despite immense mineral wealth despite incredible natural beauty and despite a hard working population that wants nothing more than to be able to eat and have a roof over their heads it seems like
0: the uh, the people who are being targeted are a lot of the people who oppose uh, dam projects in Honduras, who impose some of the mining projects in Honduras, people uh, who are civic leaders in these efforts. They get targeted. They, they're part of the problem in theory.
1: Absolutely. I hope some of your uh, listeners will remember or have heard of the name Berta Cáceres, for example, the most high profile of those cases. A dear friend of mine, uh, going back almost 20 years now, who was assassinated in her home for having helped to lead resistance against a dam project that would Uh, block up an important river in the Lank indigenous people's region, flooding out crops, displacing people from their homes, um, and preventing them from carrying out their spiritual practices at that river. For the sole fact of having opposed that dam project, which had tons of transnational investment in it, Berta was hunted down, killed in her home. She's one of many people. She's just the most high profile because she had won the Goldman Prize and has very internationally recognized as one of the key leaders. Of the resistance, and this continues to happen. If you oppose the kind of development that benefits transnational corporations and insist on local voice, you have a target on your back in Honduras, and that target is paid for by our tax dollars.
0: Now, on Saturday, you and a group of other people concerned about Honduras are doing a Honduras Solidarity Teach-in and Action, and it's taking place. Uh, starts at the ten thirty. starts the uh, the in portion. Uh, what are you doing?
1: Great. So around the world on Saturday, because again Saturday is the day that the dictator will attempt to have his imposition or so-called inauguration. Uh, in across all of the continents, across many states in the U.S., there will be actions to educate folks as well as to take action and show that the whole world is watching, despite this monumental blockade. So we will meet here in Chicago at ten thirty a.m. at Grace Place, six thirty-seven South Dearborn, and basically we're going to do two things. For an hour and a half, we're going to do some education. Educational work uh, that will involve uh, there's a Honduran poet that will open things up. We'll give some background on the current crisis and then we'll have a panel of people from social movements based within the Chicago area from Black Lives Matter from Chicago Teachers Union from the U.S. Palestinian Community Network from National Nurses United um, and from the Immigrant Rights Movement who will talk about why this matters to us, why it's important, why we need to connect the fact that uh, over $100 million have been sent to Honduras to support these human rights violations at the same time that we're told that we don't have money to keep open the six mental health clinics that this mayor closed, that we don't have money to keep open the 50 schools that this mayor closed, that we don't have money to keep open the four high schools in Englewood that this mayor is working on closing. Why we need to make those connections, why we need to talk about the impact of U.S. foreign policy in provoking migratory waves, why we need to realize that our struggles are connected, and then we'll take action. At 12 noon at the end of the teach-in, we will march, depending on the weather, either on Trump Tower or on the federal building, um, and try to make sure and make clear to the folks in Honduras that we are watching, that we are with them, and that while our government may have picked the wrong side, while our government may be standing with this bloodshed, might be standing with this continual waste of our tax dollars on repression of a legitimate people's desire to pick their own leaders, the people here in Chicago, the people especially in the social movements, we stand with Hondurans, we stand with the social movements, we stand with the resistance, we stand against Juan Orlando Hernandez." The Honduras
0: Solidarity Teach-In and Action in Chicago is Saturday, January 27th. Grace Place, 637 South Dearborn. The teach-in begins at 1030, and there is a Facebook page for the event. Uh, Matt, you know, before we let you go, I wonder, you know, uh, there's people speculating that the inauguration is going to go forward and some other new phase is about to unfold in Honduras, and it's going to be repressive and dark. Uh, How do you— view what the next thing is
1: so we're still in a repressive and dark phase so to talk about what's next um, is, It's scary. It's terrifying, really, because to talk about it getting even more dark uh, means more death, means more criminalization. We've already seen the targeting increasingly uh, and the criminalization of high-profile leaders like Edwin Espinal, who was uh, arrested without any justification, and they're trying to impose uh, terrorism charges on him. So what we're going to see is extreme criminalization. Um, We're going to see uh, continued death, continued use of death squads. But we're also going to see—I don't want to leave it dark and gloomy—we're going to see the continued resistance of the Honduran people who have a vision, a very clear vision, that they want their country back, they want their resources back, they want their voice and their vote back. Um, today is Honduran Women's Day, and so it's important to mention that many of the people at the front of the struggle, the most important people, I would argue, are women, women like Berta Cáceres, who was gunned down, women like Kimberly Fonseca, who is gunned down, but also women who are alive, women, women like Jessica Trinidad of the Red de Defensoras, or the Network of Women Defending Human Rights. Those women, along with their brothers and others in the struggle, are going to continue to fight, and I have faith that... Hondurans are not going to give up on their dream of having sovereignty back and of having a dignified life despite U.S. policy and despite the dictatorship. Matt Ginsburg-Jakel observed the elections in November
0: in Honduras, and he's helping organize the Teachin' and Solidarity March this Saturday. Thanks a lot for joining us again.
1: Thank you very much.
0: one way to fight division. We'll hear how Niles Township makes an effort to come together after the break. I'm Jerome McDonald. You're listening to Worldview on WBEZ. This is Worldview on WBEZ. I'm Jerome McDonald. When events are driving people apart, the way to resist is to come together. The village of Skokie and Niles Township have made coming together a habit. Skokie prides itself on being a welcoming and diverse community. Every year since 2010, they've created three months of coming together programs that feature a particular ethnic or religious group. This year's Coming Together features Muslim American identity and culture. The kickoff event is Saturday at Niles North High School. Habib Quadri is the principal of the Muslim communities set. Center in Morton Grove, and he's organizer for Coming Together, and he's written numerous books on Islamic education. Thanks for joining us, Habib. Nice to meet you. Thank you. Welcome. And with us is Susan Van Dusen, an education professional, former journalist, and chairperson of Coming Together. Her husband is Skokie Mayor George Van Dusen, and uh, the kickoff event is Sunday at Niles North High School. I think I said Saturday.
2: Yes, it is. Thank you for having us here.
0: I'm glad to do it. You know a lot of people are talking about these kind of activities now and lots of people have uh, yard signs these days that talk about uh, hope not hate. It seems like you guys had the jump on this way back in 2010 and were uh doing uh, these programs coming together programs starting then. What were what was going on? How did you come to do this?
2: Well, there were five power women who had lunch Together, and uh, as we looked across the table, we saw we had a Pakistani Muslim, a Quaker, a Russian Jew, and Indian Hindu, and um, the. Uh, I I can't remember the next one, (laughs) but it was the district superintendent of uh, Niles Township High Schools, the head of the library, the head of the Indian um, committee of Niles Township. Um, I had the ear of the mayor of Skokie and uh, also the owner of several hotels and restaurants. And we saw our diversity and realized that our community of Skokie was the most diverse, I believe, community in the state, with more than 99 different languages and dialects being spoken. And we thought, we're a family as we eat our lunch together and talk about our traditions and culture. We wanted Skokie to be our family, too. And what could we do to bring Skokie together? And we decided on coming together in Skokie, and we, uh, we created it around reading because we feel through reading you can walk in someone else's shoes. And you have understanding through that and through understanding and knowledge, you get to know your neighbors. We wanted something that was more than a one-day festival. So we had six weeks of intense really deep study and discussion about each culture. And we've done eight of them so far. And now we're up to uh, the, the other suburbs in Niles Township, which are Lincolnwood, Morton Grove, and Niles have joined us. And we're almost close to three months of activities that are held all over the township for young people, old people, high school people. We choose a common book. We bring in an author who will meet with the students and the public. And we learn about each other through this.
0: This is terrific. And Habib, tell me about the, this year's book. What's this year's book?
3: Uh, we have three books. Uh, one is Yo Soy Muslim for the early, uh, early childhood <laughs> students, preschool to kindergarten. And then we have a middle school book called Amina's Voice, and for the high school, it's a Muslim girl, uh, which is uh, great. So it has making sure the storylines are kind of focused on kids at that age. So, so it kind of helps out. And there's also some questions for them, uh, for the teachers to help kind of navigate
0: some of the discussions. And how did um, – so this is in the schools. People do this in the schools.
2: More than the schools – Every single library in Niles Township, including Oakton Community College, has programs. Every major institution, the park districts, the governments, the human relation commissions, they are all involved. It takes cooperation, and we like to cooperate with each other. Um,
0: Habib, have you seen it make a difference in the community? I think – it
3: is. And what's so unique about this is that it gives uh, a platform, right? A platform for ethnic groups and minorities to have a voice to showcase and express their narrative. And that's the most important, like their narrative to, to, to the general public of who we are uh, in this great country. And I think this has helped out because there's more than 50 different programs that are going to be happening. So from the arts, and that's what's great is it's a deep dive. So it's not that one one program, everyone feels good, and then no one sees each other for another whole year <laughs> or four or five years. But you have 52 events, deep dive in cultural competencies from arts, from the, you know, the food, from music, uh, and uh, from lectures and workshops. So when you have interactions at all levels from a kid's level to the youth, teenagers' level to adult levels – it really helps kind of formulate a better opinion and understanding of a group, or ethnic group, especially the Muslim community now.
0: Has there been any uh, resistance to this? Has anybody just, do you feel like you're not reaching people? Is there a segment left out? Or do you feel like you've got broad community buy-in?
2: We've had one or two calls of people asking us to explain what certain programs will indeed be discussing. But for the most part, People understand that this is a learning situation, and we need to learn about our neighbors so we can live together in peace and harmony. So I'm impressed with the fact that we really have had no negative feedback.
0: How do you handle issues that are, I mean, particularly this time around with Muslim American identity and culture, in the news? There, There is a uh, Muslim ban that is going to the Supreme Court. Uh, the, the, uh, there's all sorts of stuff that is very concurrent. How, how, how do you address something like that, Abe?
3: You know, right now for the Muslim community, it is a concern, there's anxiety, but especially for young youth, when you have the sense of belonging, and the sense of belonging, I think, has played a, a big part for kids to understand, well, can I still be Muslim and American? And uh, me being a first generation, this kind of helps us to understand that, look, you can be American and still be proud of who you are. And I think giving a platform for them to say, well, look, there are many individuals who have a, be- have a better understanding. Because many times when the fear of the unknown is when start- people start having uh, concerns. And I think this is giving this uh, a tool from the literacy aspect of it and through just various avenues for the- of people to get a better understanding and coming together. And so uh, there's going to be challenges uh, uh, you know, for the Muslim community, but having individuals like Susan in, in-, in-, in a great t- township in the city – where everyone has bought in to not just celebrate our, our, our culture, but other cultures throughout the last six years.
0: It seems like you've got something that other communities could model and could take advantage of. Do, do, you, get, do you see any takers on that? For obviously, you've had your neighbors be takers, your, your neighboring uh, suburbs of Skokie, um, but it seems like it could go a long way.
2: It could go a long way, and I do believe that we are a model. And I think perhaps it's time to take the show on the road and start going around to other communities and telling them how this can be done. But you have to have cooperation between the different institutions of, of government and libraries and park districts, and you have to really get along. And, and that's, sometimes that's a challenge in public life.
0: Um. You know, uh, there's been controversies with just libraries and the programs they're doing about immigration in our our communities. Uh, How do you get over, you know, just like these initial moments here? There's protests going on in in people's communities right now about their libraries. Um, How come that didn't happen for you guys?
2: Well, one reason why we chose Muslims in America is because we were distressed by the travel ban. And this was before, this was um, several months ago. I got a telephone call from a woman I respect who is a Muslim, and she said her daughter came home crying and saying, Mommy, do we have to move because we're Muslim? And she said, Susan, what, what should I do? And I said, you stay here, you tell her that this is... This is a community where you are welcome and we will take care of you and you will be safe. And we've had several, several rallies in Skokie in support of Muslims, in support of immigration. And that's the kind of attitude we have in Niles Township. So we're not having problems.
3: There's always, there's always going to be challenges, and no doubt about it that anything anyone does, there's always going to be people who are going to be you know really happy about it, and some people might have some concerns. But I think what's been amazing is everyone working together and having an open dialogue and saying, what could be some of the concerns that they might have? And making sure, and we're trying to stress that this is about the cultures, right? Muslim cultures, 1.6 billion Muslims. They're from various countries in the world. We're trying to, you know, just to have enough flags, 60, 70 different flags that we're going to be having, just to show that... It's wide range, and it's, it's not about the, the religion. We're not trying to stress the religion, trying to not preach to anyone. Just like all the other six different programs that's happened before us, it's about just getting a better idea of the fellow neighbors that you might have in that community. And I think when we kind of have that focus and having open dialogue and saying, where could there be concerns or where can there be things, not to take it personal and saying well, let's have that dialogue to have a better understanding
0: so we can move forward. What are some of the questions that you get most often when you're doing that?
3: Um, I, for, for the coming
0: together or just in general? In
3: general. Uh, I, I, for, you know, when I, I get to speak to a lot of schools, uh, and then a lot of times w- the first thing is that you have a lot of times because of what they're seeing on TV and media, right? You have perceptions. I'll give you an example. When I was in 18, 19, uh, 1989, I used to play a high school ball at one of the uh, – uh, at, at Von Steuben. We went to a game. And back then, this is before TV, where one of the schools chanted USA, Right. Uh, because of the Persian Gulf War. So a lot of times when things happen, people have views. When we were trying to purchase in Martin Grove to expand to build a mosque, it was denied. Right? We had to get the Department of Justice to come in. So I've realized that hey, there's always ha- uh, there is that fear of the unknown. And this is where lack of education. But it's also our community to do a better job to kind of help educate and tell people, hey, this is who we are to make them feel more comfortable of where we are and what we've contributed. Because many people don't know, like when you look at Sears Tower, every time you fly in, the two biggest buildings was done by a Muslim. Faisal Rahman was the architect of it, right? But a lot of times people might not realize, hey, there have been Muslims who have played a big part in the fabric of America. Or you will say, well, 40% of the slave population were Muslims. So I think when a lot of people understand that we're not just like a new group that just came in 20, 30, 40 years ago, but we have played, been a fabric of the American uh, uh, blanket for many years.
0: Uh, Habib, how do you explain what's happened in Morton Grove in particular? I mean, there you are. You had to get the Department of Justice for your mosque. And now you've got uh, the town buying into a program like this coming together. That's – I would call that, the, I don't know what happened, but there, it sounds like progress. Yes, and that's, and that's what's great. It's
3: that when you have interaction, and I've been able to be at that school for 15 years, when you have leadership and, you know, with our mayor and Martin Grove coming together and having a discussion and then kind of talking things out, what were their concerns, what were and how do we move forward, and that's, that, that has been the big key. And then through that conversation, we've had that relationship with Martin Grove and Skokie. Uh, go really well. And, and and that's where my whole thing is for all of us is that you can never lose hope. There's always going to be challenges. every group has gone through something. But what's made America great is the idea of coming and working together to solve the
0: problems to move forward. Habib Quadri is the principal of the Muslim Community Center in Morton Grove. He's an organizer for Coming Together. He's written numerous books on Islamic education. And uh, Susan Van Dusen is an education professional, former journalist and chairperson Uh, of coming together. Her husband's a Skokie mayor. And uh, this weekend, uh, the Sunday kickoff at Niles North High School, what happens? Is there going to be a lot of fun stuff? I mean, it sounds like just an avalanche of fun stuff. Niles West. Yeah, so January 28th,
3: Niles West West. at 12 o'clock. And, and you'll have quite a bit of things. You have uh, a reporter, Ashok Horeshi, uh, from our community who will be kind of emceeing the program. We have uh, music from Skokie Valley Symphony. We have artists. Uh, we have uh, photography, uh, food for more than 25 different countries. Sample sizes, everyone. Sample sizes. But come in and see. So there's going to be 12 to 1 wide range of artifacts from all the different countries, of the Muslim countries, and uh, then a program from 1 to 2.30. And and we'll that,
0: hope- and that sounds great. And uh, the, that's the kickoff for coming together Sunday at Niles West High School. Right. And uh, it's great to see you and glad to hear about what you're doing, uh, Habib Quadri and Susan Van Dusen. Thanks very much. Thank,
3: Thank you, you for, for having time.
2: us.
0: Up after the break, we'll talk about the film series Religion in the Frame, where you can see a Buddhist scholar talking about Bill Murray's Groundhog Day. I'm Jerome McDonnell. You're listening to Worldview on WBEZ. This is Worldview on WBEZ, I'm Jerome McDonald. Ever think about discussing Groundhog Day with a Buddhist scholar? How about chatting about Elmer Gantry with Martin Marty, one of America's foremost authorities on Protestantism? The film series Religion in the Frame offers the opportunity to do just that. For six consecutive nights, scholars from the University of Chicago's Divinity School discuss religion and ideas and themes in popular film. The series starts on Sunday night with Elmer Gantry, and Martin Marty is right here in front of me. Nice to see you, Martin Marty. Martin Marty is the author of a three-volume work, Modern American Religion. His book, Righteous Empire, won the National Book Award. He is co-editor of the Fundamentalism Project, and there are 57 other books that he has edited or authored on faith. And uh, the film series here helps mark the 20th anniversary of the Martin Marty Center at the University of Chicago and your 90th birthday. Uh, That is quite an achievement. You're making 90 look pretty good to me. (laughs) Uh, Also with me is uh, the the person who is behind Religion in the Frame film series. It is the brainchild of my longtime colleague, Gretchen Helfrich, the former host of WBEZ's Odyssey. (laughs) Thank you, Gretchen. Hi, Jerome. It is great to see you.
4: Great to see you.
0: Um, Gretchen, after her Illuminous broadcast career, has gone on to attorneydom, and she is a board member of Facets, which is where you can see all these films, and she sits on the advisory board of the University of Chicago's um, Martin Marty Center. And how'd you come up with this idea? What were you thinking?
4: Well, you know, when I heard that there were celebrations going on for the Center's 20th anniversary, I thought... Maybe I can make the streams cross and it'll be okay. And I asked my facets people and I asked my Martin Marty people if I could put the two together and uh, do a film series. And both organizations were enthusiastic about the idea, uh, really enthusiastic. Um, You know, both of them are obviously facets, you know, is interested in cultivating a more interactive relationship with film. There's lots of film discussions going on at Facet, so they thought that was great. The Martin Murray Center, their mission is to have more public conversations about religion, all kinds of religious issues. Mm -hmm. So they said, yep. And the folks at both organizations couldn't have been more uh supportive. All right, so tell tell me about
0: the films you're dealing with here. I mentioned Elmer Gantry and um Groundhog Day. These are these are pretty popular films, but you got some films that are a little more offbeat.
4: Yeah, um we have a mix. I, you know, I wanted to have films that were obviously overtly about religious content like Elmer Gantry. Um but then I also wanted to have some that were where it was less obvious what you would talk about like Groundhog Day, but we are going to be talking about Groundhog Day on Groundhog's Day Eve. So you can contemplate it oh, and then fair. have a better Groundhog Day Oh, <laughs> <laughs> for those of you celebrating Groundhog Day.
0: God, You are really bringing this stuff together.
4: Oh, yeah. Um, but we've got an Iranian film called The Lizard, which is about an a escaped convict who poses as a cleric in order to make his escape and raises all kinds of issues about the role of clerics in society and, and other it, it, it's actually a deeply religious film um, about ideas of external appearance versus internal states um, really terrific Witness the Harrison Ford movie um, we've got
0: that's where he's a, he's a tough um, hard-boiled yeah, hard-boiled guy Amish yeah. guy
4: he's not Amish he's a he's Philadelphia Amish. cop he's faking Amish he's so, hiding out among <laughs> the Amish
0: and so he beats somebody up in one of the one of the climatic yes. scenes, which is something oh, an Amish was, person would never do
4: right There might be actually a couple of be- a beatings in that movie <laughs> it 's a pretty violent movie, like possibly the most violent movie about the Amish ever. We're talking about the Religion in
0: the Frame film series. It celebrates uh, lots of things. Martin Marty's uh, 20th anniversary with the Marty Center. Um, tell me a little bit. Uh, I always remember Elmer Gantry as being a, just a crackerjack good movie with Burt Lancaster, lots of great acting. Um, and, obvi- you know, a very overt religious theme. Um, w- when you look at it as a religious scholar, uh, what do you see?
5: It we- it weathers very well. Unfortunately, an awful lot about its satire could be used about religion in America right now. Uh, it's uh, stereotypical. They're not trying to be subtle at all, all the way out there. But it helps the viewer, I think, uh, find a framework in which to judge these things. Nobody made a claim that it was all about all-American religion. But uh, all the American religions came alive to it and had to take a stand in the light of what it was about. It was a marketing religion. It was uh, uh, (laughs) multisexual. It was uh, all the other things of the 1920s that uh, lived on in the film. Um, You've been talking
0: Mm -hmm. about religion in the public sphere Mm -hmm. so often, and um, here we are today. It seems like it's more – problematic and prominent than ever, uh, Why should we? how should we be talking about faith in our communities right now?
5: I think the difference is uh, the fact that religion in America used to be Protestant, Catholic, Jew, big blocks of people. They belonged to a parish or a synagogue, which was part of a big organization, et cetera. And you were all identified that way. You know who you were. That's hardly typical today. Uh, all of them are here, and some of them are flourishing, but the energies today are, uh, well, when I when I read of uh, egregious things happening, uh, I can count on F- Franklin Graham to comment. He's the son of Billy Graham, who was a mainstream evangelical, a very dignified man. He's uh, 99 or 100 years old now. Um, his son is a very militant uh, a guy who takes you on and uh, Family Research Council doesn't really talk about family or research or (laughs) council. It it, it waits to blast. Uh, That's not at all representative of all that's going on in America. If you tour Chicago on a Sunday morning or a Friday night, you'd see conventional conventicles of people. But uh, when we're nervous about something, today people are nervous about Islam in the world and what does that mean? Uh, racial themes have come up along the way and they're always colored by religion so we we can't avoid it, it's there
0: you know, it's interesting in, in these films uh, it reveals uh, m- many of them reveal that the need for people to have religion there seems to be some kind of driving spiritual thing in the human condition that really makes people want to have faith and this has been a really faithy country uh, but these days, the, the number of faithy people seems to be going down and the number of people who are um, who are kind of dropping out of religion or not identifying with religion is going up. Uh, it, but at the same time, the religious people are getting more religious. The Republican presidential candidates all support creationism or something. Uh, it's How do you – what – What's going on? Do you do you have a, an idea what what's going on here? Yeah, I wrote
5: three books about it. <laughs> <laughs> well but, if you could do it just a little teeny <laughs> thing. True. A teeny weeny thing. Um as you described it, religion gets very close to the heart of people. And what they're nervous about, what they hope for. Uh, as an historian of American religion, I could point out many, many cycles of this going on. The Almer Gantry film tells you about the 1920s, when the old fabric had fallen apart. All of a sudden, Catholics have power, Jews are visible. We fought a World War One. we're going to fight a World War II. And you can't make sense of that without uh, uh, going as deep as you can. If you don't have a visible, uh, available religions, people tend to invent new ones. And there was a lot of that going in the 20s, and there's some of it going on today too. So use the word faith and non-faith and unfaith, an awful lot of people that are not content with existing institutions or think they're not a part of it, they'll say, uh, I'm not religious but I'm very spiritual. Well, spiritual is a wonderful word. But uh, spirituality, I'm very interested in Jewish spirituality and medieval spirituality and so on. When somebody says, I'm very spiritual, it's kind of gassy. There's nothing to hang on to. So I'm interested in when we can deal with the other and learn from the other. And one thing we're suffering from now is a lot of the American leadership in religion has tightened up and you can't. They, greet it. they simply dismiss you. So uh, there are many institutions that are trying to break that open, but it's a hard task.
0: Gretchen, some of these uh, films get right to the heart of things. And, and there's one that I didn't uh, know anything about, Kumari. Right. And it is uh, apparently a man goes and he makes up a religion.
4: Well, he, he's an, an Indian-American filmmaker. It's a documentary. He's an Indian-American filmmaker, and he poses as a holy man. And he he to see if he can get people to follow him.
0: Miraculously, we have a clip of this film.
4: Oh, fantastic. Hello. How
2: are you? Good to meet you, Guru. Nice to meet you. Is that how you go by or is there another name we should call you?
4: What would you like to call me?
2: I don't know. Like, I should call you Guru.
3: Yes. Very good. I wanted to try out my disguise in a more formalized setting. So I got my friend to book my guru alter ego as a guest teacher at a local yoga studio.
5: Can you just, uh,
4: move. I created a series of made-up chants. Sarabha.
5: Sarabha. Sarabha.
4: And I taught
0: nonsense rituals and yoga moves. Sarabha. People seem to like it. I thought of that inner peace I found while sitting with my grandmother. Was that real? That's a clip from Kumari. Uh, so this is the gassiness you were talking about, isn't it? <laughs>
1: a bit. But
0: can
4: I defend the, the spiritual, the people who say they're spiritual? I mean, one of the things that's interesting about Kumari, which is, uh, I will say, a film that uh, I found myself deeply uncomfortable in the middle of it because the people, he, he gets, he really gets develops a group of followers and they don't know that he's faking it. And it's painful. It's painful to watch. But, you know, it it tells you a lot about how much of a need there is, how much of a need people feel for some sort of guidance, some sort of um, something meaningful in their lives that isn't your standard stock of religions that we have been accustomed to in the United States.
5: So I'm a little I'm a little more partial to the spiritual people than, <laughs> uh, than Marty <Marnie> is. <laughs> uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't trying to be crabby and I wasn't trying to start a new religion <laughs> uh, along the way. Uh, I'm just saying that religion, when it connects the story of people who suffered, um, persecuted others, been persecuted uh, – migrated, when they've been through all that, it's tested and I pay more attention to it than I do. When uh, when I look at the list of the people I used to write about 30 years ago, th- the things aren't there anymore. I thought of that with Waco the other day. Uh, Waco is back in the news. Yeah. Uh, everybody thought that was, for a while, that that would be haunting us forever. Heaven's Gate, all these things, they come and go. And therefore, I think a rejuvenation of something in Judaism, Catholicism, experiment... Religions are are not supposed to be rooted rooted in the past only. They they are supposed to be facing people as they live now. So I'm not knocking that. I'm just knocking the notion that uh, <laughs> that uh, breathing deeply will 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 do it by itself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, American. People
0: seem very good at inventing religions. Better, I mean, I don't know if this freedom of religion thing like made more religions. Uh, but you know, we look at you know the the old play, The Book of Mormon, made fun of everybody. You know, feels uh, like Mormonism is a legitimate religion, but the origin story is uh, you know pretty wild and. You, you know makes you think I, well, can
4: i jump in here i know this is obviously martin marty's area but i have to say one of the reasons i was so excited to that that marty agreed to talk about elmer gantry as part of the film festival is cuz you see that you see that entrepreneurial inventiveness in the film that that i think is really characteristic of american religion you know it's about a revivalist who just decides she's going to go out and be a preacher and, and, and that's fine. No problem. Nobody nobody objects. She doesn't need a credential. I mean, I say, some people object. I shouldn't say that, but that's a perfectly okay thing to do. And I think that's pretty uh, maybe unique is a strong word, but it's a characteristic of religion in the United States that is different from other
5: places. There's a, there's a new book, a year-old book by Ken Woodward, who was religion editor at Newsweek. It's called Getting Religion, and it's based on H.L. Uh, Mencken's study of the American language. He said, no other culture has the concept of getting religion. Uh, why? Well, because religion is historically, if you lived on this side of the hill, that was your religion. <laughs> if you lived on that side, it was that or nothing. And when you came to America, uh, freedom, search, etc., cetera, and uh, – everybody was busy getting religion. And Woodward studies mainly the late 50s when Billy Graham and Fulton Sheen on television and so on were there. You had all these ex-GIs, mainly men, the women who had been cooped up at home, and all of a sudden they're out seeking uh, huge numbers of people. Uh, All the religious groups flourished because they were, uh, somebody was there to say, oh, you, you need religion? You can get this. Uh, If if the ones don't satisfy, you get new ones. In the 19th century, yes, we got the Latter-day Saints, the Mormons. You got Jehovah's Witnesses. You got Seventh-day Adventists, uh, one after another. Um, I think those of the 50s didn't endure as much as they do now, but there are plenty of new entrepreneurs.
0: Well, I'm excited about the Religion in the Frame uh, film series. It starts Sunday, and it starts with Elmer Gantry and Martin Marty, and then you just start ticking them off. Kumari is the next day, Witness, uh, the next day, A Serious Man, the Joel and Ethan Kilm— uh, John, Joel and Ethan— The, the brothers. brothers. Yeah, <laughs> to me. And then Groundhog Day on Thursday, um, right there on before Groundhog Day, and The Lizard, a film we didn't talk about.
5: Can I throw in something about Groundhog Day? Yeah. Um, I cover religion all over. And one time I was in Philadelphia on February 2. And they said, you've got to go to such and such. It's the highest Anglican church in Philadelphia. And um, I went, and the, the, the priest got up and said, when he announced the gospel, This is the evangelical pericope for today, February 2nd, the festival of the presentation of our Lord and the purification of the Blessed Virgin, also known as Candle Mass, or among the Pennsylvania Dutch as Groundhog Day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a good one. And congratulations on 20 years of the Martin Marty Center, which you're celebrating on Saturday, February 3rd. People can uh, learn more about that at the Divinity School uh, website, the Martin Marty website uh, there. And there's a nice program, interesting program you're going to have that day, and uh, an interesting featured speaker, a keynote on religion and U.S. empire. Sounds like a grand way to celebrate 90 years on the planet.
5: Be a grand time.
0: Uh, Thanks a lot for joining us, Martin Marty, uh, from the University of Chicago and the Martin Marty Divinity uh Mur- 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 uh what do i call it
4: center for the public understanding of religion
0: that's it thank you gretchen helfrich it's great to see you great to see and you jerome it's uh,
4: come back anytime okay i'm going right out of here and i'm going to try to find a cocktail party <laughs> <laughs> Boy, meanwhile Mike gilmore loves that clip he just can't get enough of that clip
5: and happy groundhog day <laughs> yes happy Groundhog. i'm day. jerome mcdonald
0: you've been listening to Worldview on wbez <laughs>